I believe it's noteworthy that Jesus bookends his earthly ministry with the same statement. In the Sermon on the Mount, he says, you are the salt of the earth. You are the salt of the earth, you're the light of the world. And he says, it's important that you grasp this. He, just before he ascends into heaven, he says, go and make disciples. It it complements what he spoke to his followers in Acts chapter 1. When they asked him, they said, are you now at this time going to restore Israel? And he said, it's not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witness in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. You're called to be a witness. Tomorrow afternoon, I have to get on a plane. I am not at all excited about it. I don't mind flying. In fact, I love to fly. It's the purpose of the flight. You see, in January of 2014, I had a credit card that was compromised. I went through a drive-through, steak and shake drive-through in normal Illinois, and uh, apparently the young man that was working the drive-through had some sort of credit card skimmer uh, that he was skimming credit cards, and they charged Uh, several thousand dollars on my credit card and uh, did this multiple times over. Well, uh, they're finally going to trial and uh, for some goofy reason, the state's attorney wants me there as a prosecution witness and so they're spending over a thousand dollars to have me fly there to tell you exactly what I just told you because that's all I know. Uh, But uh, because our our judicial system is so efficient, uh, I, I will go. Because um, I'd rather uh, be inconvenienced and have to travel to Illinois than to have a bench warrant issued for my arrest and be a fugitive. Because I just don't think that is a good thing, being a pastor and being a fugitive at at the same time. Um, But it's, um, it's, I I will be a witness. Now, I'll either be a good witness or a bad witness, but I will be a witness. Right? Right? You will either be a good witness or a bad witness, but you are a witness. Jesus didn't say, go witnessing. He said, you will be my witness. And so we have this issue, this this thing about being a witness. That that statement that he made, it, it wasn't just for the disciples that were gathered with him. It was a statement that was made to his followers. From that point until that day he splits the eastern, eastern sky and calls us home. And, and it's important that we have an understanding of what's going on in the world around us because so often we get tripped up by the issues in our world. And we get tripped up by the issues in our world because we don't understand the interconnectedness. I want, to, uh, I want to give you a little science lesson this morning. I want to take you back to uh, my high school days. And in, in high school, uh, I learned uh, uh, several very uh, important laws. In fact, I, I mentioned one of them a few weeks ago. And, and that was uh, Sir Isaac Newton in, in 1687, uh, he, he wrote these, this, these, these laws, okay, these laws of motion. And, uh, and uh, 
Sir Isaac Newton's, the, the first law that he, that he uh, declared, that, that he helped us to understand, is this, is that objects in motion tend to stay in motion. Objects at rest tend to stay at rest. Okay? Now, understanding that, I used to do this in high school. Some of you remember this. Some of you may have done this as well. Okay? I used to make money betting that I could take and put a stack of coins on my, on my arm and then if this works well, I'll catch these. If not, I'm going to take Bob Alford's eye out. Okay? And so I've got four quarters. The most I've ever done is 20 pennies. I wasn't willing to try that today. I got three out of the four. There's the other three. Okay. Now, why does it work? It works because objects in motion tend to stay in motion. Objects, objects at rest tend to stay at rest. And because those quarters were at rest, they stayed at rest. Okay. Objects in motion tend to stay in motion. This is why when you're driving, right, and you hit something, your car might have stopped, but you are physically in motion, and so you will stay in motion. So if you don't have a seatbelt, you're going to be catapulted through your windshield, or if you're driving a convertible, you're going to be catapulted potentially over the windshield and into the nether regions. Objects in motion tend to stay in motion. Objects at rest tend to stay at rest. This is why I'm convinced that as the body of Christ, that we have to be moving forward because objects in motion tend to stay in motion. Objects at rest tend to stay at rest. Uh, Sir Isaac Newton's second law is this, is that force equals mass times acceleration. In, 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 in simple terms, the bigger something is, the more force it takes to move it. Makes sense, doesn't it? His, the, his, his, his third law was this, that for every action, there's an equal and opposite reaction. For every action, there's an equal and opposite reaction. This is best illustrated if you, if you, if you go over uh, to Kennedy Space Station and you watch a rocket take off, that rocket engine, it pushes energy down, right? The earth pushes back. So for every action that pushing down, there's an equal and opposite reaction and that rocket takes off. You'll find this, that when science is true, it lines up with the Word of God. And you'll, and you'll also find this to be true. Scientific laws of nature that are true will also be true not just in the natural but also in the supernatural. So in a supernatural setting, in the spiritual world, objects, objects in motion tend to stay in motion. And in the supernatural world, in the world of the spirit, for every action, there is an equal and opposite reaction. Friend, it's important that you grasp this because if you don't grasp it, it's very easy to become bitter with God and to struggle with this whole thing of why do bad things happen to good people. We tend to forget that we are involved in this great cosmic conflict, this great spiritual conflict, this battle between good and evil, this battle between the great advocate, God the Father, Jesus Christ, His Son, who intercedes for us. 
and the great adversary, the enemy of our faith, Satan and his legions. And in this conflict, there is this activity, and for, for, for all action, there is a reaction. And this is why there is this issue and, and there is this struggle. If God is so loving, people ask, why doesn't he do something to stop this? Anyone who's ever been in the position of authority recognizes the pain of having to make decisions that affects others. There are those of you that are here that you have, you've lost a job because of cuts that a company had to make. There are some of you in this room that you've been the person that had to make the decision to lay people off because you knew that if you didn't do it, the entire company would be lost. And it's painful. In, in, in battle, a general has to make the decision to, to take a hill, knowing that there will be casualties. In a war, the easiest way to end a war is to bomb everything. The problem with bombing everything is the amount of innocent lives that are lost. This gift that God has given us, this freedom to choose, it's fundamental to life. Let me say that again. The gift to choose is fundamental to life. Who you are, you could not be who you are. Mankind could not exist without the ability to choose. God doesn't force you to serve him. Right? Joshua was, was correct when he said, choose you this day whom you shall serve. And, and you get to choose whether you serve God or not. You're not forced to. And when God created man... His plan for man was that man would be able to choose his, her own destiny. It's the greatest gift that God has given you. It's this gift, life. And life comes with it, this freedom. Our forefathers were correct when they said that all men are created equal and endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights. Among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. They got it right. We are endowed by our creator. We're endowed by God with this ability to choose. God being omnipotent, omnipresent, omniscient. Omnipotent, he is all-powerful. Om omniscient, he is all-knowing. Omnipresent, he's everywhere all the time. God knows the end from the beginning, and yes, God had an understanding of what would take place in our life before we were born. And he understood the victories, and he also understood the hurts and the pains. And it would be 
it would be very presumptuous and incredibly inaccurate to assume that God doesn't care about our hurts and our pains. I want you to imagine for just a moment the pain that God experienced even in the creation process of knowing the hurt his children would endure. But understanding that it was absolutely necessary in order for us to be able to determine our own destiny. It would have been so much easier for him when, when original sin happened to wipe everything out and start over. But then it would be a violation of the very gift that he has given you, this gift of life. And so we live in this world that for, for every action, there's an equal and opposite reaction. This is why it's so important, and it's why over and over again I will challenge you to engage. Because you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. We find ourselves in this series, A.D., which is what we want to talk about here today. And if you're following the series on NBC, which are seeing played out on primetime television, is a shift happening in the life of the disciples, now apostles. Because they're starting to experience persecution. Realize this, though. That persecution had to happen. Because up to this point, the disciples, now apostles, they're having a good time. I mean, they're experiencing a little bit of pushback from the religious people of the day, but they're all together and, and they're, enjoying, they're enjoying this, they're enjoying this new, new excitement, this new message they have, there's some passion in it. But they're all hanging out in Jerusalem. W what was that great commission? To go and to make disciples of, of who? Of all nations, of all the world, of all people. What, what, did, what did Jesus say in Acts chapter 1? And you'll be my witness in Jerusalem. But he didn't stop there. Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And so understanding that we tend to be creatures of habit. We tend to get stuck we tend to be stagnant. And objects at rest tend to do what? Stay at rest. And so this persecution comes. And even though God doesn't cause the persecution, he understands the nature of man and he works all things together for our good. He uses that as the force to move the mass to get this object that is the church into motion because they have to be moving in order to accomplish what is in the heart of God to accomplish and that's to share the good news of Jesus Christ to all mankind. 
which makes me wonder this statement. With the level of inactivity that there is in the church today, what will God have to do or allow to take place to finally move the church from inactivity to motion? That, friends, is a profound question. But it's easy to talk about that as it relates to the Mass. Sir, ma'am, let me ask you this question. What will have to take place in your life to move you from inactivity to activity? See, it's, it's God's heart, it's God's plan to reach the entire world. Acts 1 through 7 Disciples are in Jerusalem. Acts 8 through 12, they go off into the countryside. Okay? So now they've gone Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria. Acts 13 through 24, they go to the known world. And and the word of God, it, it spreads. Jerusalem is the epicenter of a spiritual earthquake. And this thing spread. And, and, and in those moments, it, it spread with incredible force. Why? Because just like an earthquake, when you have the, the two plates on the earth, that they're, that they're moving, okay? And if there was no friction, they would just, the, the plates on the earth would just slide back and forth, and if you live along the fault line, you'd see your neighbor just kind of going by. But because there's friction, it gets caught, and that force builds up, builds up, builds up, until there's this massive demonstration of force. For so long, before the day of Pentecost, okay, the heart of God, the plan of God, the energy of God, okay, and then there was this explosion. I believe this. I believe that we find ourselves in the world today at another one of those tension points. I believe that's true for the church universally. I believe that's true for the church that you're a part of. That Calvary, for the longest time, there's been this energy and this energy and this energy and, and, and what God has wanted to do, okay? And because of friction, and there's various things that cause that friction, but because of that friction, there's, there's, been a, it, it's, there's been a catch. But when, that, when it finally breaks free, there's an amazing demonstration of power. You want to make sure that you're on the right side of that power. What was the result of, 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 of this, this whole explosion of, of power in the early church? Peter ends up in Rome. Andrew ends up in Greece. Matthew ends up in Ethiopia. Jude ends up in Iran. Bartholomew ends up in Armenia. Thomas ends up in India. James ends up in Egypt. We've got... 
We've got apostles in Spain. The, the whole world is impacted. And it doesn't matter what governments or earthly kingdoms attempt to do. Because Jesus' declarative still rings true. I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. it it's, it's very easy for the church to get caught up in this well, you know, the world is going to hell in a handbasket and just, you know, at this point we just need to stay in our holy huddle and, and, and hold on till Jesus comes. Right? Hold the fort. That's what we've got to do. We've just got to hold the fort. There is persecution in the world today. There are Christians that are being martyred for their faith. And I don't want to minimize that, but Friend, the persecution that's happening in the world today, it pales in comparison to the persecution of days gone by. The greatest persecution that the church has ever known was in about, three, about 300 A.D. There was a Roman emperor by the name of Diocletian. And Diocletian, in essence, outlawed Christianity and he set out with a stated goal to destroy every Christian. And he gave an edict that every Christian was to be destroyed. And they were slaughtering them in wholesale fashion. The darkest hour that the body of Christ has ever known. And this went on for, for quite some time. Uh, more than a dozen years. Horrific, unbelievably bad. And then in 3011, 3010, Christians are being slaughtered in wholesale fashion. In 3011, the Roman emperor, Constantine, declares that every other god that people worship in Rome is outlawed and that Christianity will be the religion of the known world. That quick of a change. and brought about another massive explosion of the church. Don't think for a moment that the world is ever too far gone for God to say, all right, now it's time for another harvest of souls. And don't think for a moment that every pain that you go through doesn't break God's heart. He knows, he understands. As a father, I've been blessed with two great kids. I'm, I'm proud of my children. My son Drew is wandering around her somewhere working with the tech team today. Uh, my daughter is regular. She wasn't up here the mor this morning, but she's regularly a part of the worship team. She's actually leaving on Wednesday to go and spend two months in Europe with Michael McNamee, the missionary that was here last week. Uh, and, and I love my kids. And, and, and can I tell you, they're great kids. 
And even with great kids, I can't tell you how many times I've shed tears over their decisions and over the influences that the world has brought into their life and because of their decisions and because of the influence of the world, the pain that it's brought into their day. And that's just two children, one 17 years old, one 20 years old. There's a part of me that would love to take every decision away from them because I can protect them. I I can make sure that the steps that they take won't bring any injury to them and won't allow them to be unhealthily influenced by the outside world. I I could create this cocoon around them if I just took away their freedoms and kept them isolated. I, I could keep them safe. But in so doing, I would be robbing them of their ability to live. God has given you this ability to live. His heart is broken over every poor choice that you make that results in injury to you, that results in pain to you. His heart is crushed every time because of the decisions of others that impacts you and brings pain to you. He's also, he's also crushed, he's also saddened with every decision that you make that doesn't injure you but injures somebody else. Because for every action, there's an equal and opposite reaction. Now, when I was in high school, John, toss me that ball. When I was in high school, I knew that because of this. For every action, there's an equal and opposite reaction, right? So what that does, if I dribble this ball, if I push it down, it comes back up, okay? And, uh, and this, was my, this was my sport of choice at that time in my life, that and, and football. I'm 49 years old. Um, it, th- this, this has become a bit more challenging to me. So now I, I use a, a smaller ball. I use a, a golf ball. Actually, I played yesterday. And you know what I found out? For every action, there's an equal opposite reaction. I hit that ball. And the action of swinging that club and the club hitting the golf ball caused the golf ball to be propelled. And then as, as the golf ball landed in the pond, <laughs> there's no way for that golf ball to land in the pond and there not be a reaction. And it's interesting because that golf ball is pretty small. But those ripples are massive.
That's the way your life is. That's the way my life is. We might not think that what we do matters much. And that that pendulum swings both ways. We might not think this negative that we do in our life, this unhealthy that we do in our life, this sin issue that we have, we might not think that it's, it's impacting anyone. It's, it's a victimless thing. For every action, there's an equal and opposite reaction. Never minimize the ripple effect of your sin. Let me say that again. Never minimize the ripple effect of your sin. But also, never discount the ripple effect of your witness. Of that engage. You have no idea the magnitude of your influence because you were called He knew you before you were fashioned in your mother's womb, and he designed you for influence. Salt of the earth, light of the world. Salt of the earth, light of the world. Salt of the earth, light of the world. You might see yourself as only a pebble. But you create a ripple effect. And and if we collectively as the church could get this, if you look around and you look at all of these pebbles, but there has to be action. And sometimes, sometimes it's an encouraging word that gives us motivation to move. Sometimes it's a traumatic event in life that finally gets us to our knees. But all things work together for good. For those that love God and are called according to his purpose. The persecution in Acts chapter 8, it had to happen. If it wouldn't have happened, the gospel might not have reached very far outside of Jerusalem. When we think about those disciples, I mentioned to you that that Peter ended up in Rome. Peter was crucified upside down in Rome. Told you that Andrew was in Greece. He was also crucified. Philip was hung upside down with hooks in his ankles. Jude was clubbed to death. Thomas was speared. 
Matthias was sawed in half. Death is not the end. What Jesus said was true when he looked at the thief on the cross and he said, today you will be with me in paradise. To be absent from this body is to be present with the Lord. They were martyred for their faith and they experienced a truly horrific event. It would be utterly ridiculous to think that it didn't shatter the heart of God for his children to experience what they experienced. But God understanding this issue of giving mankind free will recognized that there was no other way. That's why Jesus, when he was in the garden, he said, Father, if there be any other way, nevertheless, not my will. But your will be done. Missionaries in the early days had all their belongings sent with them overseas in a casket because they knew they weren't coming back. But they also understood the promises of God. And there was no hesitation. I want you to understand the promises of God. But in the promises of God, you cannot divorce yourself from the plan of God. And the promises of God are true. Over 7,000 promises in the word of God. Here's just a few of them. I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. I'm with you always. No No weapon formed against you shall prosper. You are more than a conqueror. I shall supply all of your needs. There's just a few as promises. I'll keep you in perfect peace. In fact, I'll give you a peace that transcends all understanding that will guard both your heart and your mind. He keeps every one of those promises. Here's another promise. Are you ready for this? In this world, you will have trouble. That's a promise we don't like to quote. But it's a statement that God made. It's in his word, and it's true. Just like all things work together for good, even when it doesn't make sense. 
even when we can see no purpose in it. It doesn't say that all things work together for my good. See, I believe this. I believe that there's pain in my life that doesn't bring benefit to me. But there's pain in my life that brings benefit to others. Here's the balance to that. There are a lot of people who have paid the price for me to be able to stand here today. We, we celebrate them every Veterans Day. And I'm the benefit, I'm the beneficiary of their pain. In the, in the body of Christ, I, I, I'm able to stand and declare the realities of God because, because people went around the world, around the globe to share the good news. This isn't something that was born in Orlando, Florida. The message of the cross was brought here at some point. And people paid a high price for me to be able to stand, for you to be able to stand with this religious freedom. And there's a world that is hungry. And there's a world that is hurting. And there's a world that is ready. And God is tapping you on the shoulder. Ma'am, sir, God's tapping you on the shoulder. And he's saying, you might fancy yourself as nothing more than a little pebble. But I have full understanding of the significance of the ripple effect. And you're part of an army. And that collective ripple effect can change the world. The disciples were 12 ordinary men. No superpowers. No S on their chest. Ordinary men. You are the salt of the earth. You're the light of the world. That's what he's called us to be. Salt of the earth. Light of the world. Salt of the earth. Light of the world. How do you do that? As I bring this to a close, let me give you five things very quickly. Number one, you are the salt of the earth. Be relational. 
Salt is influencing. If you've been around here, you've probably heard me talk about this because it's one of those things I want people to know that they know that they know that they know. When Jesus says you're the salt of the earth, he's speaking of value. You bring value. So I need to be connecting. I need to be engaged. We cannot live our life in a holy huddle. I can't tell you how often I talk to people and say, you need to invite an unsafe friend to church. I don't have any unsafe friends. Friend, if you have no unsafe friends, something's wrong. There, there are a lot of them out there. They're everywhere. You don't have to look far. Go across the street. Be intentional about it. I have a neighbor, one of my neighbors, that I've, I've had a very difficult time trying to connect with because he's just, he, he doesn't spend much time out, so he's just in and out, in and out, in and out. So this morning, as I was getting ready to come to church, I was, uh, I was leaving just a few minutes later than what I wanted to, and so I wasn't in a hurry, but I didn't have any spare time. But he was standing out in his driveway, and I could see in the back of his garage was a motorcycle that I've never seen him ride. Dri- pulling out of my driveway, I would have pulled left. I back in my driveway, and so I'd pu- I would have pulled out and, and went left. His house is right over here. I pulled out and went right and stopped and talked talk to him for a few minutes. And this is what I said to him. I said, you live way too busy of a life. Because I've been your neighbor for a year, and that's the first time I've seen you even own a motorcycle. We chit-chatted for a little bit. It's the first meaningful conversation I've been able to have with him. I had other things to do. I had seemingly more important things to do. I had some place to be. And I had every good excuse to not stop and talk to this guy. But I'm the salt of the earth. That's the little spot that I'm supposed to be seasoning. And and, and I I have to do it. And here's the reason why. Because if the salt loses its saltiness, saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything. I don't want to be good for nothing. I want to have relevance, and I want you to have relevance. I need to be relational with my neighbor to where I can bring some relevance into his life. It requires intentionality. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Some of you are doing an amazing job at masking your relationship with Christ to the outside world. You are a phenomenal undercover Christian. Kudos, way to go. Christianity is not a covert operation. You're the light of the world. Value Light is influence. You're supposed to be an influencing agent. And the way that we're supposed to do this let me be completely honest with you. 
at the risk of offending, I'm embarrassed by a lot of Christianity. I, it, it drives me crazy. And this happens a lot, too, where there'll be a news story of somebody doing something just ridiculous. And I go, oh, please, dear God, don't let him say assembly of God. Don't let him say assembly of God. Don't so, why? Why do the goofy ones always have to be in the assemblies of God? They're either, in, they're either in the assembly of God or they live in Florida. The craziest stuff happens in Florida in the assemblies of God people. A few years ago, there was a story that came across on the news, and it was a story of somebody doing an outreach, and they decided that they were going to crucify the Easter bunny. Yes, they invited children from the community. They crucified the Easter bunny. And I'm hearing the story, and I'm going, oh, please, don't let this, please. Oh, somebody got church, sure enough. Friends, let's not be goofy. Genuine Pentecost is not goofy. Genuine Pentecost is powerful. It's not the power of Pentecost that people push back from. It's the goofiness. Let me say that again. It's not the power of Pentecost that people push back from. It's the goofiness. The church has never grown more rapidly than when it's truly experiencing Pentecost. And the element of the church that's growing the fastest around the world is the Pentecostal church. We don't need to be ashamed of the power and presence of God. We need to not be goofy. And there's a lot of the church, there's a lot of people that are trying to get in your pocket in the name of Christianity, and I just want to, I, 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 I want to lay hands on them suddenly. <laughs> because it makes what we do so much, it makes those of us that are trying to do it right, it makes it so much harder. And we just do goofy things in the name of Christianity. But I think far more than the goofy things that this fringe element of the church, those who are, you know, passionately seeking their own interests and their own fame, I think that's the, I think that's the smaller of the two issues that the, that the church is facing. I think the bigger issue that the church is facing is that so much of the body of Christ live their life with intentional anonymity. And the people that we live around, the people that we work with, they have no idea of our connection with Jesus. This doesn't mean put a 20-foot lit Jesus first sign in your front yard. Now we've swung the pendulum back to weird. Okay? Because you might think putting a 20-foot lit Jesus first sign would be cool in your yard. How would you feel if your neighbor across the street put a 20-foot lit Harley Davidson sign? Okay? It's, it's not being obnoxious. Here's, here's what, what the Word of God says in Matthew chapter 5. Let your light so shine that they see your good works and praise your Father in heaven. Okay? So my witness is supposed to be in such a way that they're not offended because the gospel is, is an offense enough, okay? My witness shouldn't be to where they think I'm weird. Well, I don't care if they think I'm weird. I'm doing it for the Lord, okay? That's contrary to Scripture. The Bible does not say be weird. 
It says we're a peculiar people. That doesn't mean weird. It means different. It says, let your light so shine that they see what you do and they go, there must be a God. Even when you experience pain, even when you experience difficulty, trust that God knows what he's doing. We live in this world where for a reaction, there's an equal and opposite reaction. There's all this push going on. But it's time for the push of Christ's kingdom. It's time for the push of the church to be that major inertia, that force that's moving the mass forward.